Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I'm Jim Towns, and I'm here with one of our regular co-hosts, David Ullman. Hey, David, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm glad to be back. You are too. Awesome. Uh, David has been on our episodes for. Let me think. It's uh, Abin Costo, Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, and what's the last one we did? Oh, yeah, no. we to, how can I be? Oh wait, no. Cool one. The the Bogart one, uh, Return of Doctor. Oh, X. we we did Return of Doctor X, right? Right. Which kind of another zombie film? So this is interesting. We're doing this. So uh, we are today doing <clears throat> what is one of my favorite. Like, if you take the Universal films, classic horror mo- movies aside, and I had to list like my favorite non-Universal classic horror films, thirties and forties. Uh, definitely, Island of Doctor Moreau. Uh, definitely Mystery of the Wax Museum, um, definitely King Kong, obviously. But absolutely right up there would be uh, the Jacques Chenier, Val Luton produced I Walked with the Zombie from 1943. This is just since I first saw this on VHS. Um, you know, we talked about this, the, the Silver Top series in mm-hmm. Universal. Like the R- RKO had their, they were like gold, black, and red. And they were all the same. They all had like all, their VHS when I would be renting them, they all had like a square black and white image of whatever, and usually the Val Luton films on top were the ones I rented. And then like in gold or red or something like that below would be like, I walked a zombie or like Bedlam or whatever, you know? Oh, cool. Um, they they didn't really put the posters on the videos. They put like a, a still image from the thing. And and the still image from I walked with zombie is this iconic image. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen of uh, the two women, standing in the cane field and there's like the, the, the desiccated hung body of the, the goat or lamb or whatever standing there, which is oh like, as a kid, I saw it. I was like, Oh, well, I'm seeing this movie. What the heck? Holy crap. Cause I had been lured into watching another, like a sixties zombie film before it was it plague of the zombies. I think so. And, and it seen it was like, Oh, okay. Well it's, it's this. Okay. It wasn't white zombie. Cause I'd seen white zombie and, um, and and so I was and but when I you know fourteen year old Jim or whatever like that saw this it was so exciting. Now, David, before we get started, David, you're you're a well versed film guy. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> thanks. Right? No, and and, I, and and this is in no way to demean you or anything like that. I'm just saying, like I find it fascinating. So th- you, f- in preparation for doing this episode, this is the first time you'd seen. I walked with a zombie. You had not seen it before yeah i don't think i have i mean i uh, so i i got the um it's like the double feature dvd that warner brothers put out i don't know in the mid 2000s or something right and that has the body snatcher is the other film and so i know like i remember renting this disc from the library like as an adult like in my i don't know early 30s or something like that and uh coincidentally uh ordering it online i i got a Ended up getting a library copy, which I didn't realize at the time, but it's got all the stickers. Oh, that's funny. But, the, you know, so but I, I have, I just, I find it hard to believe that I would have rented it going through one of the times where I'm just like trying to watch things in the order that they came out and that I would have skipped it altogether. But I have no memories of the film. So unless I watched it and I was like, you know, 
Uh, Drunk. Yep. <laughs> that was what I was thinking, which is actually possible. Uh, <laughs> I I have a few movies I've had to watch again, been like, I wait, did I I think was it it's Sicar Sicaro two. <laughs> like the sequel to Sicaro, the first one, you know, a couple years just from just a couple years ago. I remember I I it came up on my HBO or something like that on my one of my apps. I was like, Oh, I, you know, I didn't see the sequel to this one. And I'm watching, I was like, wait a minute, yes, I've seen this. <laughs> Did I watch this I watch this late at night sometime or on a plane? I don't know what. Anyway, so anyway. Um that's funny. But uh well, I'm just excited that we get a chance to talk about it now. Now I do remember watching it as a kid and you know, obviously we're talking about the Val Luden films. Uh, we're talking about films that did not have a uh, have a lot of budget, and so and and I covered this a little bit in our in our previous uh, episode with uh, with Jason Henderson when we talked about uh, the Seventh Victim. Um, so so RKO did not have a huge budget for their horror films. These were B films they were making, but they wanted to capture some of the magic that Universal was enjoying in its kind of second wave of classic horror with Sun Frankenstein and then into the Mummy movies and the Invisible Man and then the Monster Bash films. Um, so they brought on this guy named Val Luton to produce these films and to, you know, while he doesn't always get a screenwriting credit, he always did kind of a last pass at the, the thing. And he had very, uh, shall we say, strong creative control over the content of the, the, the films he was producing. Um, he had teamed up on The Cat People with Jacques Tournier, this director, who uh, he did, you know, this one, he did Leopard Man also for RKO. Uh, he also was the director of Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum and stuff. And he's, you, you can see, like, I I think I, we credit Val Luton for like the themes and everything of these things, but the, really the look of them I think was defined by Jacques Tournier and hmm. and then sort of replicated to some degree. It just I I think it just became the fingerprint for these films. These these long shadows, high key, you know, bright lights, dark dark patches, uh, the the mystery and the lost thing, and also the wind. Uh, Jacques Tournier oh, just yeah. did wind so well and silence and stuff. In in Isle of the Dead, it, it's it's hugely important too. So. RKO, they were making these movies, and they are making, I don't know, I guess, without being reductive, the, the nicest thing you can say, they, they they did so much with so little. They really oh, didn't yeah. have a lot. They had, like, Jacques Tournier, they had, like, you know, some cameras, and they had Tom Conway. And they, they basically just, and they just kind of worked with that as much as they could, because Tom <laughs> Conway's in all of these films. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> That's cool. They're yeah, yeah, no, he's in Cat People, he's in this, he's in Seventh Victim, yeah. You know, and I would argue that I think... These films, they're not forgotten films, but they don't enjoy the spotlight in the way, obviously, all the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein. Um, the Universal films, well, first of all, there's toys based on them and all sorts <laughs> of merchandise. There's no, there's no like, I Walked With a Zombie or Cat People merchandise out there. Like, you could probably find a poster or something, but like, beyond that, there's no action figures and there's no... <laughs> You know, no, no Burger King toys, and there's no, you know, yeah. th that's not what the the place these films occupy in our uh, pop art culture, you know, 20th century kind of world. Um, so, so it's easy to kind of skip over them. And there's only uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them, I think, hmm. uh, that that were produced within a very short period of time. I think like you know, forty three to forty eight or something like that. Um, 42 to 48, I think. Uh, so, yeah, you know, but but uh, to me, that's sort of what I love about them. I kind of treasure them because I was like, I remember going and seeing these. And and if you go to, like, if you really talk to, like, 
film historians, like like people who really are are leaning into the art of films and stuff. Yes, they'll they'll talk about Son of Frankenstein. They'll talk about some of the the other Universal films that are visually so important, like like Bride of Frankenstein and 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 Mercenary Morgan stuff. But if you want to talk to a, a real serious film person about like how well a movie can be shot and and executed and performed, you know, in this kind of style. Yeah. They're going to talk to you about cat people and they're going to talk to you about, uh, uh, bedlam and stuff. So geez. Um, having said that, I think, you know, I love all of them. I, I, this is my favorite of, of all the Val Loon produced films. I just think it's great. And, and for, <laughs> for what it is like for, for how little, and again, this is not a knock, like for how little happens in this movie, it's so <laughs> captivating. Like really yeah. not a hell of a lot happens. There, there's no castle exploding and there's no mad scientist and there's, you know what I mean? It's, it's really a story about characters and people in a very unique setting and it's done mostly. And I think one of the most impressive things about this film is I think it's, it's done respectfully. Yeah. It surprisingly doesn't, it doesn't so. date yeah. badly. Right. I mean, so many thing films from this era, uh, it gets cringy when you look at it now, you're like, Oh, you know, and whether that was done with intent or whether that was done with carelessness, the, the treat, the treatment of kind of not non Anglo-Saxon and non-Christian characters, uh, sometimes gets very, very uh, tough to, to get through if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, which hopefully a lot of people are. <laughs> uh, this one, I, 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 I think you see in this film, I think you see research and I think you see respect for uh, Carib culture uh, uh, of the time. Because um, while set in a fictional island called St. Sebastian, uh, the, the, the-, the thesis is this is basically set in Haiti, and or Dominican Republic, what is now Haiti or Dominican Republic at the time, it would have been Hispaniola, I think, in the Mm. 40s, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, getting into it. I Walked with a Zombie. Uh, It's a story about a nurse named Betsy Connell, played by Frances D., who, again, travels, is is sent, she gets a job, and she is sent to the island of St. Sebastian in the Caribbean to take care of Jessica Holland, the wife of Paul Holland, uh, and brother to Wesley Holland, who, there's a little bit of a love triangle there. Um, uh, and so she's a fish out of water. She goes to a strange place, and there she finds secrets, forbidden love, and of course, zombies. <laughs> um, this is I, I sent David. I, 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 I obviously everybody. I, I sent David uh, the episode of my old podcast horror series, sixty six horror flicks, which is available on YouTube if you wanted to check it out. Um, I did about you know twenty episodes or so, and this is the first film I've done in Borgo Pass that I actually covered on that episode and that that episode's only about seven minutes long or so but um i th- as you said david my, my enthusiasm for it came through and it, obviously i think it's going to come through talking about it uh today uh as i said francis d plays betsy connell uh she was in little women and a few been bondage she was like a real actress to I me mean, and that's the other thing you know they there were real actors in all these rko films they really brought in like talented folks um uh, Val Loon regular Tom Conway plays Paul Holland. He was obviously, we know him from Cat People and The Seventh Victim. Uh, he also played in the Falcon series. Uh, James Ellison plays Wesley Holland. He was in The Undying Monster. Edith Barrett, who's one of my favorites in the movie, plays Mrs. Rand, who's the mother to Wesley. Sir Lancelot, plays a uh, famous uh, Carib singer, plays Calypso, or the Calypso singer. Uh, Teresa Harris plays Alma. Christine Jordan plays Jessica Holland. She was in also of human bondage and this also the strange death of Adolf Hitler. Uh, <laughs> um, most notably for me, I, you know, I just got to say the standout 
character and an image of this film, I think, is an actor named Darby Jones, who plays Carafor. Yeah. Uh, Darby Jones was uh, a very tall, very lanky African-American actor. He was in a bunch of stuff, and he usually played uh, tribal chieftains, witch doctors. He was obviously stereotyped into this kind of thing, but he played zombies quite a few times. He played one here, and he played one on uh, zombies, a movie called Zombies on Broadway, which uh, Bella Lugosi a couple years later. <laughs> um, someone figured out how to... They took Darby Jones, who was a very handsome man, uh, super muscular and in shape and stuff, dude. Uh, looks like like just an NBA guy, you know, now. Like that's, yeah, you know, if you, does, you could yeah. cast him as that now and it would be, he'd be perfect. Um, someone figured out how to like create this prosthetic eyeballs that went on top of his actual normal eyes that created these bulging blind eyes. And they used it in this and then they somehow used it on Zombies on Broadway, which I don't know if... He he just got to keep the prosthetic or something like that, but it's hmm. the effects really right. He has just, oh, just I, staring blind eyes. It's, yeah, it's absolutely it's, like in a movie that's more moody than it is terrifying. Like that moment is really just yeah. He stands out. Moment. He's incredible. <laughs> yeah. But so coming back to uh, the story here, uh, we start, uh, which I think is great. They, we start in Canada. We start in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. where it's snowing and and betsy's like in an office with like her like an employment agency of some kind like a headhunter or something who's you know sought her out for this job saying like hey there's this job down in you know wherever and, and we would like to do it and you know this could have started just in new york city it could have started anywhere but like you know the, the decision to start a movie that's set in the caribbean in like the frozen north is so great because you can see she's standing there you know in her in her, in her wool coat and you know with a fur collar and everything like that and you can tell it, she still has gloves on in the guy's office so you can yeah. tell it's not heated very well so but it's great because it sets up this idea of like you know this like wh- why would she take this job you know uh, sure it's a job and sure it's whatever but but like the idea that this this woman has who's never been down you know to the equator you know, you know kind of climates and, and or whatever uh finds this so romantic she's already like you know caught up in the in the imagination of, of coming to this strange exotic place so yeah it's just, it's a great setup she's like wistful you know she's sitting there looking yeah. like she's in dr Zhivago, and then she's just like her eyes kind of go in the distance and she's like palm trees yeah 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 he said she's palm trees see she is she's 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 uh seduced by it uh into and you know with no idea what she's going to get into now uh i neglect to say at the top of it um uh, so, so Kurt C. Odmack, uh is credited as writing this, the original screenplay for this. Uh, someone else helped him with it, whose name I forgot to write down. I'm sorry for that person. And uh, but the film was based on a a story in a magazine, um, and, and where that RKO sort of bought the rights to, and it was called "I Walked with Zombie." And 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 I I've looked for it. I I have never actually found that article. I would be fascinated to see like what that story was, because while they sort of gave this project to Val Luton and said, you know, you got to call it I Walked with a Zombie. Kind of like they gave him The Seventh Victim. They're like, we don't know what the story is, but we'd like The Seventh Victim, call it that. So you have to write a story. He made, They basically had to write a story that that made it sense that it would be called The Seventh Victim. Same thing with this, except they had a story that Val Luton didn't like. So he brought in, I, as far as I can understand the story, he brought in Kurt Siodmak and had him uh, write something that was much more based on uh, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, yeah. uh, which which is funny because they kind of use that again when they come to Seventh Victim. Seventh Victim has a lot of Charlotte Bronte in it as well. It, it seemed to be kind of a thing that 
uh, uh, Val Luton, uh, like gravitated to is this kind of, uh, you know, Gothic romantic structure at least in which to tell the stories he was telling. Yeah. And it seemed like maybe Jane Eyre must've been in fashion then or, or something, especially cause there I was guess. like one of the, the actress who plays the, the brother's mother, I guess was mm-hmm. in a, a film version of it around the same was time. Was actually in Jane Eyre, yeah. Yeah, and, and Orson Welles was making a Jane Eyre. I'm not sure even if that's the same one, but yeah, it, it was pretty popular. It's like doing a movie about like a superhero origin now. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you know, it was just sort of like the way you told a story then. It's just, just hey, it keeps, you know, like I, I, I've I said on a few of the other episodes, like, you know, some, some things are uh, some things are done all the time, you know, b- because they work every time. Like, you know, it just it just seems to connect with an audience. So you know, um, uh, but I do I do do just think um, you know it's it's uh, it's a great way to start the film. So next thing we know, she's on the boat to uh, to uh, the Caribbean. And the thing overall, and I'm probably going to come back to Jacques Tourneur's lighting on this over and over and other thing. But the idea of like it starts out and they're on this boat and it's not daytime; it's nighttime. It, right. it would have been so obvious to. To have them like, oh, she goes from the frozen north to like, oh, it's sunny and everything like that. And the the thing about it is, this film, while it's set again in the Caribbean and Haiti slash Dominican Republic type type of a, a location, it's it never feels warm and it never feels sunny and it never feels cheery. Oh, right. Somehow they take this idyllic setting, right, and they they manage to make it spooky and gothic. Which you know, having having grown up in Pennsylvania and then relocated to Los Angeles for my film career uh, about 17 years ago. Um, the first thing I, the first thing I was kind of confronted with when I came out here, having made some horror movies in, in Pennsylvania, which has old rusted buildings and, and, you know, crumbling, you know, foundations and trees and forests and, and rivers and what have you, you come out here and it's sunny and there's palm trees and it's always warm. And it's, it's, it's so idyllic. You're like, the main thing I was confronted with when I came out here was like, how do you make a horror movie mm-hmm. in, in out here? Like it, everything's so pretty. Like, and now that, that was, that's I, I obviously, obviously everyone at universal figured out how to do it. You just build your sets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you do it. But, or you, you, or you film like the Dracula, you know, Renfield coming down the carriage down the, the, the backside of the mountain that has the Hollywood sign on it. And there you go. It looks like Transylvania. Oh, I didn't uh, realize that's what that was. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's ba- <laughs> that's basically the backside, you know, the Hollywood sign faces Hollywood. And when you go over into the Valley, that Hill of Universal was more or less the backside of that same range oh, that, I love that he's that. coming down on in the Universal lot. Yeah. That's great. Um, there you go. Well, uh, I love that the, on this, on this ship, uh, and you know, like you said, it's at night, but it's not, it's not like, um, I don't love day for night. I understand, yeah, but and w- that that's got to happen sometimes, and right, and it looks like there's some process shots or whatever, but it and mm-hmm. they'll cut to the actual like sky, and then it'll be dark, and the sh- the stars, you know, even the stars are dying, but yeah, yes. it's, it's such mood, such a great mood with this, yeah, it's the like guys are scene. singing, you know, they're not having to do anything, they're just sailing around, and the yeah, the shipmates or whatever, yeah, 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 and she's she's just staring out, and and. They do mention like they they give this thing like the warm breeze like she's feeling this like warm thing and she's, uh you know, Betsy's Betsy gets to. I think the interesting bit of character 
part as we go through the film is is that I think the character Betsy gets to reinvent herself here. Mm, like yeah. she was, I think she was one person in Ottawa, and now she's gone to this thing, and she gets to grow into the person who maybe she has always wanted to be. Um, she gets to be more assertive. She gets to because she starts pretty much, you know, just being a, a, an employee and grows into a, a very different role throughout the film. So um, I think it's it's nice subtle character work. Um, uh, on the part of, of Tournier and, 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 and Luden and, of course, Francis D. Um, uh, Paul wanders over to her. Paul, her, her new employer, is on, on the ship, played by Tom Conway. Um, and <laughs> I do love... It is... <laughs> the first thing we see him... And it, you assume they've spoken before, obviously, on the dock or wherever when they got on the boat. But but I love that the yeah the first thing he does he comes up he's like it's you think it's beautiful it's not beautiful <laughs> right. all everything's dying the world is terrible and stuff like that his his outlook is so dark and bleak and he's it seems like he actually enjoys you know excuse the phrase taking the piss out of everything yeah like anything nice right I mean it's like it's his mission in life it's such an he's an interesting character he's very he is very Byronic he's very That's right, yeah. um uh what's what, whatever the name of the character in, in Jane Eyre is, I'm blanking on it. Yeah, he basically is that character. Yeah, what, Rochester um, maybe? I can't remember. Rochester, sure. yeah. Yeah, I think Rochester. Um, uh, He's got a uh, like a Basil Rathbone quality for me. It's just maybe the sort of the see? rhythm and timbre of his voice. I don't know. Uh-huh. It's, I he does, he has that. I always, I, I think on the Seven Victim episode of two, I, I always, I always think of him. He, he looks like it looks like someone took Errol Flynn and like just microwaved him for a few seconds. <laughs> like he just, he just got just a little. He's a little less dashing. He's just a little less charismatic, but not much. He still is very, you know, tall, angular, powerful. You know, he's British and everything. Um, uh, and and they, uh, and he's got the little mustache. It's yeah, important. No, just, you gotta have it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of day for night, the the, I mean, I I. I I shoot day for night a lot in, in my films because I rarely have the budget to bring in a huge crane and, you know, light an entire street or whatever. Um, but, uh, and when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and speaking of Robin Hood, there's there's those scenes in, in Robin Hood uh, with Errol Flynn where they're riding and, and it's supposed to be nighttime and they just put a little blue filter over bright, sunny day. And you're like, wow, that... <laughs> I remember even little going like, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. That's, that's not whatever. Um, while he's... Uh, while Paul is dismissing all of her romantic notions about where she's going to, uh, he points out that the, the the this phosphorescent glow in the water is from millions of dead organisms, and he calls it the the glitter of putrescence. Oh, which I, I I'd never caught until I was actually watching this movie f- f- and I had the subtitles on, um, and I was like, oh, the glitter of putrescence. What a great. Beautiful. What a beautiful dark phrase. It's just yeah. Pretty, the um, language in this movie was really striking to me right away. Right with stuff no, exactly. like that and and the voiceover. There's like a there's a poetry sort of to it. I don't know. It was really distinct. Right? It calls it calls a lot of attention to itself, but in to me it did, but in a good way. I, I really yes. relished it. Yeah, it's it's it is Byronic. It's just it's 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 beautiful language, beautiful dialogue, well performed, well directed. Uh, for for a movie that again while we technically classify this as a horror movie, this is a movie in which 80% of it is people standing in rooms having conversations. It's not a lot of action, uh, shall we say. Uh, as a, I mean, you know, there's just, there's no angry villagers. There's no, you know, you know, uh, fan, the phantom driving his horse carriage, you know, through the streets of Paris at night with, with, with the girl in the back or anything. Um, uh, 
so the background of the setting here that she's going to, uh, the Hollands live at a place called Fort Holland on St. Sebastian. Um, their family were slavers who brought enslaved people to the island. And and so the, the modern day residents of the island are, because they're not natives, because the natives would have been Native Americans who, well, it's Hispaniola, so basically Columbus would have killed them all. That's <laughs> So they're not there anymore. Um, the, the, the residents of the island now are the descendants of the slaves that were the enslaved people that were brought there generations ago by the Hollands. So, you know, the, the, the Holland, the Hollands who were white and the residents of the island who are African, African of African origin have a, have a very uh, delicate interreaction. Now, most of the residents of the island work in the sugar plantation that, uh, you know, that, that, that the Hollands run. Um, so they're still their bosses, but now they have to pay them. One assumes one, one hopes. Um, and, and this tension is really evident uh, throughout the film and the film, uh, the filmmakers don't shy away from it. They, they, they lean into it heavily as a point of character. My, uh, and I'll get to a good example of that in just a little bit. Um, and it's, I, the, the, the real, I think the real object that's used to signify this thing is that in the garden of their plantation house, uh, that the Hollands all live in, what most Hollands live in, um, they have the figurehead from one of the slave ships mounted, and it's a it's a it's a sculpture of Saint Sebastian, but it was the it was the on the prow of one of the slave ships that brought all the people to to them. And when when uh, Betsy is brought to the thing to to the to the house her carriage driver actually like explains this all to her that you know, this is where they, the, the fathers brought the, you know, their, their fathers brought our fathers in chains at the bottoms of boats and everything. And they, so the, the arrogance of the Hollands to use a part of the, you know, part of, part of the, the, a piece of the ship that brought these people's ancestors to this Island in slave as slaves as yard art yeah. is so, is so, wildly you're like wow and and it again this is something i would never quite i think when i was younger seeing this movie i i got that but i didn't i wasn't able to like intellectualize it i think um it's such a it's such a symbol it's such an in, in, impressive powerful symbol that the film gets to uh address that issue without having to lean into it so much and in stopping the, the movie right it it takes it seriously and it gives it its due weight but it doesn't become a movie about that it, it, it continues on the story but but i just think that's just really good filmmaking right there and really good symbology yeah that's an intense uh, symbol mm. <laughs> and, yeah no it's, it's kind of I, I don't know i i guess i hadn't really thought about the weight of that and what it must i mean that's like a constant horrible reminder <laughs> that right. to, to, of, of their place you know how the privation it, yeah. your ancestors were put through yeah and yeah. and and some of these these residents of the island still work in the on the planet you know some some work in the fields and some of them work actually obviously in at the house uh, alma for example and, and a few other characters so they're presented with this image every day it's dough um there's a, just a yeah i think it shows the innocence of betsy at the beginning where you know the the cab driver's explaining all this this sad history to her and she says well they brought you to a beautiful place she has this really uh lame response to to the weight of the thing she was just confronted with which i think is just it just shows this is outside of her 
she doesn't know how, what to say to something something like this. Mm-hmm. It's it's so it's so terrible. Uh, she says they brought you to a beautiful place, and and the, the captain was like, "If you say so, miss. If you say so, like <laughs> if it, he's got a great, you know, I mean, he's over it. He's that's fine, whatever. If you say so. Oh man, um, there's a decent amount of at the top half of the film, at least, there's a decent ha- amount of voiceover from Betsy yeah. where she talks about like, oh, I didn't, you know, I never heard of the zombie before, and I never heard of she and she she even presages that she's going to fall in love here she's like i didn't know i was going to fall in love but it is so so it's interesting the film's like i don't know i don't know if that was originally part of the script or if that was something that was added after the film was completed and they thought maybe it needed a little more heft in the front half or 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 what to to because the film starts very slowly i mean there's no as good as it is and it's very very good not a lot happens especially in the first half of the movie it's it's just a lot of uh with, with one or two exceptions it's a lot of like you know it's a story about a woman who goes to an island and has a job. Um, <laughs> you know. They do uh, have... Uh, so there's, uh, I have a little bit of information about the script here or there, just because the, excellent. the commentary for the DVD that I have with uh, Kim Newman and Steve Jones, um, they reference the shooting script, and uh, which is a little bit interesting because there's like specific things in the shooting script in terms of almost like exactly... Almost like... Um, I don't know, like very specific prop information, almost like where to oh, go buy it or, or in the, oh, that's funny. in the sequence, you know, that'll come later with the, um, that sort of shows the voodoo ceremony. Like, I guess that it says in the script, like something about based on the details of a 1937, I think it's time life or something article. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting details in there, but the, the voiceover, oh, wow. um, is, is part of it. And, uh, and so every once in a while, I might have a little tidbit about those kinds of That's things. That's great. But so is that is that is that credited with to just Siodmak or Siodmak and um, it it is this other writer. person? Uh, it's this other writer, and they 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 they, they sort of posit the the film historians that 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 um, that the, all of the sort of the universalisms were sort of stripped out, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of like Val Luton and uh, his in his. Uh, know presumed final rewrite uh doing things his way but in this other article sorry article other author Ard, ardell yes. ray ardell ray yeah. I, I just looked it up yes he's the other credited screenwriter and and the the story from the the that's based on is by inez wallace so i yeah. want to make sure we get all their all their names out because they had a, a fair contribution to this little masterpiece yeah. Um, but those opening lines, like she almost kind of yeah. giggles, <laughs> like she's like, ah, I know, I, I know, with a zombie, <laughs> she, she's innocent at the beginning, and then if you compare that to what the uh, the voiceover we get right at the end, which is not by her, it's yeah. very, it's an it's an it's an interesting arc that that the the tone of the story goes on because it obviously starts very innocent. I'll come, um, I'll come back to that at the end. Hopefully, I'll remember because there is a absolutely difference in the script. Oh, that's neat. Um. So once at the uh, Holland Fort Holland, uh, she, uh, Betsy's introduced to Wesley, uh, who is Paul's younger half brother. Uh, Wesley's name is Rand. So Paul's mom, who we're going to meet pretty soon, Mrs. Rand, uh, uh, his his father died, and Mrs. Rand marries a missionary here on the island, I guess, um, and and Paul. And, and I'm sorry, Wesley is the result of that. And and this is by way of explanation why um, uh, 
Tom Conway has a British accent mm-hmm. and James Ellison, who plays Wesley, does, does not have a British accent. And they expl- they actually explain, like, no, he went to school in England and I went to school in Boston. So, um, you know, there's in, – in <laughs> as much as I love all the mixed, wild, crazy different accents in the Universal films, it is nice once in a while to watch a movie where, like, they're like, no, that actually makes sense. This is yeah, why this is, this is this is why two brothers look nothing alike and then also, uh, uh, yeah um, – have have completely different uh, accents and and manners. Um, he's yeah, he's much more like uh, affable, and he's he's not like yes. you know, everything sucks and we're all gonna die. He's right. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> and to 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 the except except you know he does have one pretty pronounced character issue. Oh and, yeah, and, well, and yeah. He, he he quite he he uh, the younger brother Wesley quite likes drinking. So and we get into that. Yeah. Um, uh, he explains that there that his mother. Mrs. Rand, uh, she lives on the island, but she doesn't live at the house. She uh, works at, at the dispensary helping people. She's not a nurse. She's just, she, uh, whatever. And, and that's going to factor in quite uh, largely into it. So uh, Wesley and Betsy dine alone. Uh, Wesley, who is not married to anybody or, you know, otherwise engaged, instantly, we can tell, has quite a an attraction to, to Betsy, maybe not least because there's not a lot of women around <laughs> that he's, you know, on the island that, that he can date or he's dated all of them or, or what have you. Um, uh, while Paul, you know, you know, he sort of, Wesley sort of like starts tacking in on Paul a little bit and Betsy stands up for him. And this is the beginning of a, you know, a, a, a B story that we're going to have throughout the film where Betsy slowly is falling in love with like the, the tragicness of, of Paul. Um, you know the man with the the wife who's incapacitated, and you know the sadness and the the darkness of, of in his soul. Um, it's it's a typical thing, right? It's like you, in high school where you you liked a girl and you you're like you want to go out, and she's like, well, you know, no, I want to, but like I'm kind of in love with this drug dealer over here. You know, <laughs> right, they, yeah. they're all, the girls are always. It seemed like they're into these awful dudes. And you're like, what do I? Okay, whatever. I what know. Do you do? <laughs> yeah, when Paul you know? Paul's like laying into his like, you know, uh, dark romantic you think thing you're on beautiful the, yeah. you think you're whatever yeah, yeah exactly. i wrote down i was like always good always always a bad idea to get involved with someone who is himself drowning but i was like of course she is i i did have a little like that's yeah, interesting back yes. to high school yeah. i was like oh geez <laughs> right it's so funny um uh uh paul does come in at the end so at the end of the meal and you know wesley who's been so up and and animated and cordial and friendly you can see his his demeanor just drops like a stone um, when Paul comes and, and instantly you see the tension there between the two. And that's a, like a kind of another B story, or maybe that's a C story uh, that, that that we'll be building as well. Um, uh, while Paul's there, they bring uh, Jessica's supper and Betsy offers, you know, Jessica, who will be Betsy's under Betsy's care. That's what Betsy's here for. Um, and, She's going to take it up to her in her room, but Paul decides he will, and, and she'll meet her uh, the next day. So, you know, I think Paul's trying to, like, brace Betsy for what she's about to encounter a little bit. Um, but that kind of falls apart because that night, Betsy sees Jessica walking t- through the through the courtyard and follows her into this tower. And we have sort of the first actual, like, you know, scary scene within the film, kind of, you know, 10 minutes into the movie, uh, where she's confronted by this, this Jessica, this woman in white, uh, with this death mask of a face. Yeah. That is, that is both beautiful and terrifying. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, um, I really noticed that. Like, I made a note just about how, I'm like, Jesus, those cheekbones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, subtly done. I think there's a little bit of prosthetic work there, not too much, but it, there's something, and then it's obviously a lot of makeup and paint. Um, uh, and it's a little inconsistent, like, the level of makeup yeah. on her. Almost, and the, the historians sort of posited that maybe it's, you know, it could just be a continuity issue, but it, they were like, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's like a subjective thing. And this is like Be- Betsy's experience right. of seeing her this way for the first time. That that, that could be. Yeah, it, it definitely seems it's more pronounced in the beginning of the movie. And then later on, when she's just laying in bed, I, I don't see it as, as much. That's for sure. So they, they augmented it quite a bit here. Uh, but it's a great scary scene. It's like, again, for how little is happening, um, Luton always gets down to the, the bare bones of what is horror and, and is, you know, what scares us as an audience is, is it, it's helplessness, right? It's, it's being confined, not being able to escape. Mm. Uh, it's, it's lack of autonomy. It's these childhood fears of like, what's, what's lost in the shadow? What's, um, what's there that I can't see that can see me. And, and it's very, like you can say it's very elemental, right? Horror. Like there's not a lot of bells, whistles and explosions and monsters and bolts and hairy, wolves and you know um it, it's very simply done but in its simplicity there's a, there's a definite elegance oh that's uh, a good word for it yeah 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 it, it's it's like it's like like i would say it's like it's like there's there's a million types of flavors of ice cream but like really really good vanilla ice cream it's hard to beat right it's, yeah, it's the the, yeah. ba- the base thing that is done so well is really is really incredible um and and it's a combination of lighting mood music sound editing it's incredible um yeah uh th- she she was drawn to and i think jessica i think the subtext is jessica was drawn to one of the servants in the house uh had a baby and there's been a bait there's a baby crying and i think that this i've never read anything about this but this has always been my interpretation is that jessica who is hovering kind of in a in a in a semi-comatose state between life and death uh, and we'll get into that. Um, you know, Jessica is never going to have a child, mm. right? Because because of her her state. So there's some maybe there's some sort of on the film's part maybe there's an idea like there's some sort of elemental maternal thing that that she was drawn to to hearing this this uh, this child this baby newborn baby wailing. I don't know. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Got those Dracula so, stairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly. No, they're totally, yeah, exactly. The circular Dracula stairs. In, it's an incredible set piece. Um, I wonder if it's from something else because uh, uh, the, you know, RKO being what they were and, and these films being the budget they were, they frequently used sets over and over again, like from Magnificent Ambersons. I know they, I, I think, I think sets from Magnificent Ambersons end up in Cat People, Seventh Victim, and a few other uh, films. So, hmm. uh, you know, in, in an era where they didn't do any real location shooting, these were all mostly done. I mean, there was some stuff done up in Malibu, but this is mostly just done on soundstage. And one of those, um, in that, in the same scene before they get to the Dracula stairs, or maybe it's the exterior yeah. of that, that. It reminds me of, um, I just saw it for the last, or for the first time last year. So I don't know it super well, but the, the ghoul with, with Karloff. Mm. Oh wait, wasn't that in Europe? They filmed that. That uh, could be. Yeah. Anyway, it could be, but, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's on my list of episodes to do, but I haven't seen it since I was. I think I think the only time I saw it was on a VHS tape that had been dubbed a bunch of times, and it was like it was almost like watching an abstract film. <laughs> like it was like, oh, I think that's Boris Karloff. Yeah, so it got one of these cleaned days. up. I have it on disc. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a nice edition of it. I just I just got it. I gotta get it. Um, so 
the and again, what's just so good about the storytelling of these films, these these RKO ones that Valdun produced. Um, yes, that that's a great scary scene. Yes, it comes just about the time where we're ready to be reminded that we are watching a horror movie. Um, and the sub the the named subject of the movie, the the zombie part of the title. Um, but it also is a character moment because it sets up Betty, Be- Betsy. I'm sorry, my wife's name is Betty, so oh. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to probably accidentally drop that name a few times with Betsy. Uh, anyway, Betsy, who's we have to keep reminding ourselves like, but this is her first day, not even quite her first day on the job. Like she, she these are her employers. She's here to work, um, and she kind of screws up the first night by chasing Jessica into a, a thing and getting scared. And Paul, this this puts her in a little bit of a hole with Paul. Paul sees her as like, I'm not sure you're really up for this task. Like, you're 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 a young woman who got spooked by just seeing the subject of your, you know, of your job. Are you going to be able to do this job? Kind of. And so it's a character beat. Like it's a good moment. Like it it there's a reason that's there. It's not just there to be scary. It's there to tell us more about how these characters are going to interact going forward in the film. It's just it's it's and it, and it's efficient yeah it does two yeah. things at one time um uh so uh we kind of the next morning she is waking up and alma who's uh, uh one of the servant uh the the resident island servants that we, uh, is going to be a kind of a tertiary character here wakes her up um and and is serving her and she says you don't have to serve me but she's like no i serve miss jessica so i'm going to serve you so alma and betsy are going to start sort of have their own partnership as far as like what they're going to do for, for Jessica and, and for Paul, like they're both caretakers to some degree uh, for Jessica. Um, and, and they're going to kind of collude as the film goes on, which is, it sets it up really well. Um, uh, she meets Dr. Maxwell, who's the local doctor, uh, um, who's been caring for Jessica since, you know, the, the advent of her, her illness. And, um, that this is the other thing we're going to start getting into this film that had the, one of the themes of the film is, is, you know, modern, uh, we'll call it Western science versus superstition on the Island. And the, the, the kind of tug of war between the two things. Um, Jessica had a tropical fever is, is the backstory, which it's, you know, uh, at least in, according to Dr. Maxwell burned out parts of her spinal cord, I'm not sure that's the thing people does, but that's okay. Um, but but you can understand, like like the the fe- she had a fever that kind of cooked her brain and left her in, in mentally debilitated. She has some sort of uh, partial brain damage of some kind that has led her to to have this kind of sleepwalker state where she she can get up and move and do things, but they don't think she can understand what people are saying to her beyond very simple things and she obviously can't communicate she can't you know she 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 is in this zombie like state and while there's a while dr maxwell you know and 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 we'll see mrs rand have a have, have a modern medical explanation for her condition uh as 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 she's revealed to the people on the island you know for you know the the way she is they they start they start having their own theory that maybe she's a zombie and that's this is just ah it's just good storytelling it's just so much fun <laughs> yeah. um i like how uh, they de- delineate the zombies like a ghost a living dead 
It's also a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't oh, know. It's about also this a drink. drink. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's also a drink. I, I, I have, I've had some zombies and I agree with Betsy. They are strong. Um, I was thinking if I'd recorded this in the evening, maybe I would have had a zombie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cocktail with me while, while recording it, which the, the, the podcast probably would have spiraled off the edge because the zombie, if I remember from my bartending days, it's, um, it's white rum, dark rum, 151 rum, pineapple juice, and lime or soda or something like maybe maybe sour mix or something like that. Mm. Um, I think there's a few different versions of it. it so so a zombie is basically a big glass of a couple different types of rum with some ice and a little bit of fruit flavoring in it. So yeah, it's there's nothing weak about a zombie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I always uh, save this podcast to listen to on Saturday evenings, like Saturday nights. So perhaps uh, when it drops, there I'll you have go. To fix when it drops, you have to <laughs> fix yourself a zombie and, and, yeah. and give it a listen. That'd be great. Um, I, I just, I just don't want to step on, uh, uh, monsters and drinks's toes. So I, I try not to drink when I do this podcast. Also, oh, I have enough. Tr- I have I'll enough. Have to tr- look into that. Yeah, Mary Shellman and and all those guys do just a great job on on their show. So I try not to. Uh, yeah, I try not to t- trespass on that's that's their setup. So and and they do they do great episodes on all sorts of stuff. Also, I just it's hard enough for me at forty nine to keep you know all these facts straight in my head anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I need is uh, Scott and I in the early days of Borgo Pass. We had a couple episodes where we had a few drinks while we were while we were doing them, and they were fun. But yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, so Betsy does settle into the routine of she's going to be taking care of Jessica and, and she's just monitoring. You know, she's not, the Dr. Maxwell and everybody, there's there's not a cure for Jessica's condition, as, as so to speak. Um, she's going to be just like what she is. And Paul, you can understand Paul's sort of lack of optimism, right, at the world because he has this beautiful wife who now is so compromised and their relationship is 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 not even a relationship anymore there's no way he can have any type of marital relationship with her i mean i guess he could but let's not go there that'd be weird Uh, uh, a little bit more like white zombie (laughs) yeah yeah right um so so that's uh so we kind of as we get to know the situation better we sort of get to understand paul a little bit better just just like Betsy starts getting to understand him better, maybe, and realize that that his harsh exterior is really a defense against this awful thing that happened to him that he also, as we get into the film, feels somewhat responsible for. So, you know, he he kind of hates himself and he kind of hates the situation and it comes out as as this very like acerbic kind of kind of character. Um Betsy Seemingly, I mean, I guess we skipped ahead a few days. Betsy has a day off. I assume she doesn't have a day off like the second day she works. But um, <laughs> she, yeah, she has a day off and she gets to go to market. And and she meets uh, Wesley there and he invites her to a little cafe for a drink. And and for, for Wesley, that means quite a few drinks, quite a bit of rum. And I, I love to see where Betsy's like, Betsy calculates exactly how many ounces of rum he's consumed because she... Oh, that's right. Yeah. She... And she says, "I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nurse. I pay attention whenever someone pours something into a thing. I'm measuring what they're, what they're pouring." And so she has calculated exactly the amount of alcohol he's consumed, which is seven or eight ounces, or I mean, it's, it's a decent amount. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, this is a great scene. This, this scene, which could be just a scene of two people sitting there talking about whatever, and and or it could it could be expository where you'd learn a lot about the characters from their dialogue together. Instead. The screenwriters and and Jacques Tournier and and Valun 
have this thing where this, there's a Carib singer in this in this restaurant who goes around playing guitar and singing songs. And he's singing one song when they sit down and they're talking, and then he switches and he starts singing this song that is basically about the the Holland family history and the the dark history. And through the song, we actually learn and and Paul or I'm sorry, Wesley's once he hears the song, he realizes Betsy's hearing it and he's getting more and more uncomfortable because the song is all about how Jessica and Wesley fell in love, Jessica being Paul's, you know, wife. Uh, so she falls in love with her husband's half brother and they they were gonna try and get away and and the uh then Paul, the older brother, had a problem with that, and then it it implies that somehow that has led to the sister to I'm sorry, to, to Jessica Jessica's current state. So uh, and and the the singer is, is uh, Sir Lancelot, who was a well-known Carib singer at the time. Um, I believe I'm defining him as a Carib singer correctly. I, I hope I am. I hope I'm not misdiagnosing him. But anyway, um, uh, and so you know, Wesley's sitting there, already pretty drunk, confronted with the fact that that this girl he likes now knows his deepest, darkest secret is that he had an affair with with his half brother's uh, uh, wife. So it's 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 uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and such a cool way to get that information across, like you said. That's what I'm not, saying. Yeah, no, it's so good. Yeah, not the old uh, boring way that most films would have handled it. Mm-hmm. And in a yeah, horror movie, yeah. whenever somebody, I don't know, I just p- part of me thought Wesley was going to be like, "Why did you sing that to me?" You know, grab him by, pull the chainy, <laughs> grab him by the shirt. <laughs> I don't want to live. Why would you sing that to me? I exactly, just, just like Frank Simon Reese Wolfman. <laughs> I just want to die. Can't you understand, you stupid people? Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Sat there t- and took it in and then we saw it on his face and uh uh-huh. Yeah, that was, but you that's got cool. That song that song of the new grape, like it, it I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad he interrupts that song though. God, that song. Oh, oh that song. Yeah, oh geez. Um uh there's but there's this is followed by a great moment where uh the you know Wesley kind of motions the waiter to go up and and tell tell the guy to stop singing that he goes up and and it turns out like uh the 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 calypso singer um was sort of prompted to sing that song by a guy and he didn't see that wesley was sitting there but the guy did and so so i'm just going to call him sir lancelot because i don't know what his character's name is. he's just as credited as calypso singer he's like why would you request that song when the guy's sitting right there what are you doing to me dude like he's got such a great <laughs> and and sir lancelot was not an actor he was just as far as I know, I think he was in some movies, but he was mostly a musician. So, like, it's a great movie. It's like, it's so real. Like, the acting's just like, why would you do that? And now I got to go apologize to the guy. Okay, I got to go apologize. Like, he's great. I um, liked a lot of up. the actors, like, small, Dude, smaller parts. Yeah. Like, um, Alma, Th- Teresa Harris. I thought mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. she, great. Like, a, every, very naturalistic, a lot of these folks who may or may not have Absolutely. acted in a ton of things. But, yeah, yes. I'm sorry, you were about to say something. No, no, no. There's, it, they're they're all so good, um, and such great faces, just beautiful faces. Uh, so so Sir Lancelot goes to apologize to him, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sing that song. I don't even know why people sing that song. It's a silly song." And and Wesley's like, "Fine, whatever." Um, and that's like the first half of the beat. The second half comes where we cut to it's a, like a few hours later. The sun's going down. Uh, Wesley's had enough to drink that he's unconscious at the table with poor Betsy. And Betsy's trying to, you know, figure out how to get him out. And now that, now that this is, this is, I'm going to go back to like the idea, the tension between the residents of the island 
who were brought there, whose ancestors were brought there as enslaved people, and the Hollands, who are the slavers who did that to them. This tension, so there once, once Wesley is unconscious and not sort of there to say anything for himself, and, and Betsy's alone, Sir Lancelot comes back and he finishes the song. He's been told to stop singing the song, and now that he, he's done, he comes back and he sings, he's kind of in defiance. But, but it's also like, I think he's, he's trying to warn Betsy, like, look, this is what you're getting into. Um, it's, it's so eerie. She, he's just doing, he's doing it for her. He's not doing it to entertain anyone else. There's no one else there. He's singing it for her. And like stalking so towards her, barely yes, blinking. It's, it's a creepy. little creepy. <laughs> right, right, right. As, as creepy as you can be singing a Calypso song, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> With it, a little acoustic guitar. But yeah, it is creepy. It's so good. I think he, and he's actually like making up new words, incorporating I, Betsy. Oh, oh no, like, he is. Yeah, he, he, he absolutely is. Um, this is, and this is to me like one of the most, again, like I talk about the horror of Al Luden. It's the inevitability of this thing and this idea that like it's the minute Betsy took this job and came to this island, she's now part of this song. She made oh, herself yeah. part of this tragedy. Like, and that's it. She it's done. She's part of the song now. She'll never be able to take that back. She has put herself inevitably into this situation and now she's caught in it. She, there's no escape for her. And I think that's just that's one of those again, those things where like if you're not gonna have explosions and angry mobs and Frankenstein monsters in your horror movie, you need to bring in this, again, this like very base childlike fear we have of like getting caught in something we can't get out of it. It's just, you know, uh, it's really, uh, it's, uh, yeah, just good, 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 good storytelling. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, it, and I was just, 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 uh, cause I, making sure I kind of nail that to like the idea that her, her fate is set, right? Like no matter what she does, she's, she's, she's stuck here. No, Cause physically she's also stuck on this Island, right? She's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess island. she could get on a boat, but like, she's not a woman of, with a lot of money or anything like that. So like, you know, until uh, again, she, she basically decides maybe she should be fired uh, later on. Um, yeah. She's, she's stuck here. So she's just got to deal with it. So, um, and just as, just as the film's kind of reached this dark, point here at the you know in this restaurant um this little light in the movie shows up in the in the in the shape of 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 uh mrs rand who's played by yeah edith barrett uh who is i think she's she was the actress i think i read on IMDb. she's only a few years older than than tom conway yeah they like uh, made her they, up. they made her look a little <laughs> older than she is because she she's frankly like you know pretty well put together um for being well well, because obviously Tom Conway's character, Paul's the older one, Wesley's the young one. So, um, she, so, so the mom shows up. So Wesley's mom shows up. Uh, just at the moment where Beth, Betsy's like not sure what to do here uh, with this larger man, like how to get him back to the thing. Um, and she has the great thing. She puts him on his horse, and she's like, "But he's drunk." And and Mrs. Rand's like, "Don't worry about a sugar planter. Give him a horse, and he'll ride to his own funeral." Um, <laughs> yeah, like, it's, like, it's a great line. Um, uh, and she's, Mrs. Rand brings this, and she's just an amazing character in the movie where she brings this warmth to it. She's another female for Betsy to sort of interact with. Um, she's, she's, she's very much team Betsy. Like she, from the beginning, she's like, I'm so happy to meet you. I'm so glad you're here taking care of Jessica. I'm so everything, you know. Um, we realized as, as the spoilers as the film goes on that this is a bit of a front. This is, you know, 
there's a there's a there's other levels to to Mrs. Rand uh, beyond this. But you know, at the top of it, like I think I think as an audience, we're happy Mrs. Rand's there to be because you know as the brothers, you know, yeah, t- 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 or, uh, Paul's very dark and and moody. Wesley's a drunk. Finally, there's another character like Betsy who's like who just seems like normal and sane and not given to some sort of mental debility or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's we're we're happy to see her. Um yeah, she's a great character. Uh uh I just have like yeah, the movie's so good. The characters are so much more um the movie's just let me take that back. Um <laughs> but, 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 I I got I got ahead of myself. Um You got too excited. You love it. <laughs> if yeah, if 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 there's maybe something about the Luden movies that can get tough about watching them, it's that they're the Luden RKO horror films are are very much populated with with very complicated characters who all tend to tread kind of on the dark side. There's there's always something, you know, you know, sort of moody and sort of upsetting and sort of whatever. It's it's hard to root for them. And I Walk Zombie in the character of Betsy has this one character that is just she's complicated and she's got depth, obviously, but she's a bit of a light in in the darkness of this thing. And it's 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 enjoyable to f- hold on to her as we travel through this kind of you know web of secrets and lies and history and everything and and magic and superstition uh, throughout the film. So I think I think that spark makes this movie just a little more. Uh, it goes it goes down a little easier. It's like she's the spoonful of sugar, you know. Um, Rather than, I mean, the seventh victim and and even cat people and stuff, they're they're all very, they're they're noirish, right? They're dark uh, films with dark characters, and and everyone's compromised. And it's nice that, you know, aside from aside from falling in love with a man who is has a catatonic wife, Betsy's very much like a moral beacon we can follow through the movie. Um, but she's human. Hey, <laughs> um, so so sort of our like. D plot, I guess. It's a, it's a, <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> we we don't talk about this kind of stuff. We do talk about the the universals. I got to say, um, it's like this happens, this happens, this happens, and here's sort of its residence, and that's it. Um, this is different. Uh, the the sort of the D plot is there's a drought going on. They haven't had a lot of rain on the island, and the villagers are going to perform a voodoo ceremony to uh to to pray to their god Dembala for rain. Uh, I'm going to refer to the practices of the native islanders is voodoo in this just because that's what it's called in the film and i'm going to try and keep you with this um i know there's more other appropriate terms like voodoo and hoodoo that, that define slightly different kind of practices within this geographical area of the world so anyway i'm just going to call it voodoo um also because you know the voodoo <laughs> uh um and the place where they do their voodoo ceremony is called the home fort H O U M F O R T. Again, thank you to the the uh, subtitles for that because I've always I've always heard H O M E new word F O R T home fort. Yeah, I didn't realize. Which is confusing because the Hollands live at Fort Holland, so uh, I'm I'm sure home fort means something different in 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 French. I'm sure it's a French word. So anyway, um, but anyway, the vill- the the residents of the island. I I keep not want to call them natives. Um. This is their center of practice. This is their church. Let's just call it that. Like the home fort is their church, and this is where they go and perform their 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 religious ceremonies and supplicate to their deities and and try and, and you know pray for rain and and everything else. Um. Uh. 
so the drums are starting and, and this is where, you know, the, the, the plots, the, the, the zombie thing is really going to kick into the story. Um, uh, the, the brothers get into it again in front of her. So, you know, this seems to be a constant thing where like, you know, once Wesley shows up, he and Tom, he and I call him Tom, he and Paul are constantly having this kind of back and forth kind of thing where they resent the heck out of each other and all this stuff. Um, uh, so at dinner this, this time it, it's all, it, it kind of overflows a bit. And what Betsy heard from the, the song uh, kind of spills over and the, the film kind of parcels that what we're basically, we're basically find out is yes. Um, Jessica and, and Wesley were going to leave the Island and, and she was going to leave Paul and there was a scene and well, I, I guess nothing physical happened. I guess Paul said things or, or, or whatever that, that his reaction to it was so strong and he was absolutely going to forbid them from leaving the Island. And there's an idea that that's what caused the, the brain fever that Jessica had that, that led to her being in this condition. So this is again, like I said, like this is why Paul feels responsible for, for what he did with his life. It's, it's like, he basically turned his wife into what she is in, in his mind, which, you know, if that's true or not, that this, this is the reality of how Paul feels and Wesley has never forgiven him for it. So there's, you know, the thing, um, this, the scene also has the moment where, uh, 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 Betsy has asked, uh, well, well, Mrs. Rand has asked Betsy to ask Paul to leave the whiskey off the table or bourbon or whatever it is. Uh, so that, so that Wesley won't drink during dinner and Wesley notices that, oh, and Paul first says he won't do that. That's, that's, that's their, you know, family yeah. custom. So, it stays there. And then it turns out he has done it. So, you know, and, and this is the first moment where like we've seen Paul, Paul's sort of harsh exterior is kind of cracked a little bit when it comes to Betsy. He's, he's, he's developing a soft spot for Betsy as well. Yeah. It's strange about the, the decanter. I thought like, he's like, yeah. Oh, it's killing my brother, but well, it's tradition. You gotta just it's leave tradition, it here. Right? <laughs> what kind of tradition? <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, they, they, they keep, they keep the slave ship prow as yard art. I mean, yeah. This is I, that's we're dealing a, with. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, this is who we're dealing with. You're absolutely right. They're rooted in this tradition. Yeah. Um, uh, Betsy's actually sent to her room during this fight. He's like, why, you know, Paul's like, why don't you finish your, your dinner in your room while me and Wesley go at it? So you wonder if this happens almost every night. Like you want you know, it. And again, these two guys, they're, they're trapped together. They hate each other. These two half brothers, they really hate each other for what happened. You know, Paul understandably hates Wesley for having an affair with his wife. I'm sure he, he kind of is, has issues with his wife for doing that as well. But then, Wesley hates Paul for having said all the, what he said and, and doing all the things. So, um, so later on, Paul's just sitting there playing uh, piano and I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if Tom Conway plays piano. Cause when he's, when he's doing, so when he's sitting there and we don't see the thing, he's doing that thing that actors always do in old, old movies where they're just, they're, they're kind of waving their hands all over the <laughs> keyboard, you know, like conducting, but like, it's, it's like, like, like Rolf the dog in, in, uh, ah, in, in yeah. the Muppets, you know, yeah. except I think Rolf the dog is actually sort of playing piano, which is the ironic thing. Um, yeah, they're kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're playing like six different parts at the same time. So I'm not sure. Um, uh, uh, but, Betsy comes to him and they have this tender moment and the, the, the harsh facade of Paul goes, goes away 
uh, for for a few moments, and he's and Tom Cowie's so good. Like he, he, it's like his face changes a little bit, and he lo- he looks handsomer, and he looks, you know, taller, and he looks you know more dashing and stuff because he's being gentle and nice to her, and we can see that this thing between them is actually starting to go in, and and especially for Bet- Betsy's falling for him, like for sure, uh, which is not obviously what she's supposed to do this this is her boss and and her she's been hired to take care of his wife and instead she's which is this is jane Eyre. i mean this is the 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 you know the the basis of the thing is 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 this these mixed emotions and it again like some some things work that's why they're tropes and, yeah. and it works here and it works here because a great great actor is great everything yeah um i'm gonna go back and mention jocturne's lighting again just because yeah. the the, the 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 way the light in this place you know there's these slatted blinds like kind of not Venetian blinds but like yeah you know uh, whatever on and all the windows of the building which which is common for that I've, I've seen it in Hawaii and, and other places I've been down in Dominican Republic so you can you can open them when it's cool and there's a cool breeze but you can close them when the, to keep the sun out um, and that's how before obviously air conditioning you regulated the in the heat inside your house when you live in these tropical climates. But they use it as this constant, there's constantly light coming in through these slats and it creates this, you know, broken ladder effect of shadows across everybody's faces and stuff. And, and it just, again, like when you, when you're dealing with a location that has, you're making a horror movie in a location that has like just brilliant light. This is how you create the mood, right? Is, is that, is that light's broken by these things and creating these little shadows and stuff. And it's not just bright and, and beautiful. So, yeah. And in that scene, it's like that tender scene too. It's, it's like, yeah. it's less, it's uh it's less extreme, like a that, noir yes, film. It's, it's almost it's like less a less extreme there because it's nicer. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. It's is that really subtle, yeah. but cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so Jessica's, I think there's an interesting twist here where Jessica, um, where, where Betsy Betsy acknowledges, and and we have the, her. I think this might be her final voiceover in the film. Um, she acknowledges that she's she's in love with Paul now, and she's she's admitting it to herself. She's she's falling in love with this man, um, but because she's who she is, I think she's you know at, at heart kind of a she's a caretaker person personality. Uh, because of this, instead of having an affair with him she's going to show how much she loves him by curing Jessica. She, she, she's decided to give herself this mission. She's going to bring his wife back to him as as a way of showing him how she feels about him. So there's this like self-sacrifice thing going on, which is really, it's nice. And again, it makes us like her so much. Well, Um, and, and this shot, like that they hang on for the, for this voiceover as she's saying all this, it's, Oh, it's so striking. And I'm so glad we see it for so long, but it, it says so much, you know, in like film grammar, because she's saying this wistful stuff about being in love with this right. guy. But we're seeing over her shoulder as she seems to be looking down at the crashing waves on a, on the rocks from the top of a cliff. You know, she looks like mm-hmm, she's contemplating mm-hmm. suicide. <laughs> it does. It does. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's just gorgeous to watch the waves and, come in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been up here. She in, in, in a funny horror uh, uh segue uh she's at she's in in malibu at leo carrillo beach oh. um, and leo carrillo beach is named after leo carrillo who was an actor in a lot of films of the era and he was in horror island huh. in 1941 with the uh the universal film which we we've covered so yeah wow there you go 
that that's where she's at. Um, I don't know if he actually owned this property at this point in 1943. I think he did. He he was a guy who you know became kind of successful playing you know ever, and he's just. He just bought the right real estate, you know, <laughs> he just decided because Malibu wasn't really developed at that point. It was pretty much on the thing. And he just, he bought the right property. And then, yeah, I, I, I don't know if he got to really enjoy the value of it now, but now in case anyone doesn't know, Malibu is one of the most sought after, you know, zip codes in, in, in LA area. It's, it's where everybody, you know, I mean, I mean, actually a lot of like, you know, just surfer type, you know, regular folks live there, but a lot of very wealthy people live up in Malibu as well. So it's where Tony Stark lives in the Iron Man movies. So there you go. <laughs> uh, where the, where the, 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 uh, the, the, the Mandarin destroys his house. That That's Malibu. Um, also where uh, Mel Gibson had his famous uh, driving issue. Uh. <laughs> right there. Anyway. Um, uh, so uh, the effort of trying to cure Jessica... Um, Betsy suggests they try insulin shock therapy. And I didn't have time to look that up and see if that, that's a real thing or not. I assume it is. Um, where I guess they're going to try and give her too much insulin and reduce her blood sugar to such a degree that there's some kind of, you know, mental shock. And, and the caveat to this is that this could kill her. Um, and they decide that that's, that's worth, you know, the, the risk. Yeah, Paul, Paul gives them permission and decides it's, it's worth the risk. So they, they, they try this whole thing and, you know, bummer, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Uh, so she's left as, as she is. Um, uh, so what's nice is that Betsy has, has tried like, like modern, the modern, modern medicine technique. And then she's, she's sort of talking with Alma uh, the the servant girl and and Alma is the one who who suggests to her. Well, you know, there are better doctors than 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 Doctor Maxwell. And she's on here on the island. She says who? And she's like, you know, Dambala. So, you know, having exhausted like let's call it what she what she views as legitimate therapy, Betsy's ready to try to. It's basically all alter, alternative therapy, right? Like she's like, well, you know. If medicine didn't work, maybe we maybe we try voodoo and see see what happens. She's willing to try anything. She's she's sort of desperate. Yeah, and she's doing this for the man she loves. It's kind of an odd yeah. thing. It's it, but a yeah. noble that, that yeah, which is you know in line for Betsy. But right, right, exactly. Um, and you know, just like uh, that, she she's willing to take this risk because because the idea of going to the home fort and taking Jessica there, not only you know she's doing this without permission so she's taking her subject who's a semi-catatonic woman out into the woods basically (laughs) uh, without her boss's permission so she could easily get fired right and and wouldn't (laughs) be justified being fired um but it's also not totally safe these two white women going to this ceremony they don't belong in this thing um you know and 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 there's there's a there's a great element of risk as, as we see uh so but she's resolved to do it, so they're gonna, they're gonna do it. Um, uh, the the best idea here is that uh, they have to have voodoo patches to pass on. So so that night, as Betsy takes Jessica uh, from her room and brings her, Jessica, who always wears the flowing white, you know, long dress, of course, right? That just blows yeah. in the wind and makes her just feel like a ghost, or makes her feel like. Lucy in Dracula. That's what I always right? think. The boofer lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the boofer lady. Exactly. The boofer lady. Yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, 
she, uh, she they, before they leave, almost pins on these little black, like little pieces of material, right? Um, that uh, on onto the breasts of their their things, and those these are the voodoo patches. These are the things that will tell everybody at the home for it that they have permission to be there, that they're safe, and and will protect them. And of course, as they're walking through the cane field, the first thing that happens is is Jessica's blows off, which is <laughs> you're like, oh no, like I knew it. Um, uh, um, this, so if the film has like a sequence that is, that is really like, again, if you had, if you had doubt that this was a horror movie, this is the sequence to do where she, she, she takes Jessica out, uh, through these cane fields and they keep passing these, these symbols of, uh, of voodoo practice they they pass like uh, like a gourd that's hanging there with the wind blowing through it and they they pass a, a animal skull and then they pass a human skull um uh fun, you know and, and they're in this i just it and i'm sure this i'm sure this is backlot this had to be just backlot i think i think it's just a, a soundstage that they just planted uh a whole bunch of uh or planted or, or at least like you know had propped up like a whole bunch of cane plants um uh and 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 but but it's taller than they are so they're just in this maze of cane and the wind blowing through the cane is making this dry sound cuz it's all dead cuz again they've been having a drought it's just it is so spooky it's it's again like there's nothing terrifying in this movie but it's so overwhelmingly spooky and yeah. haunted it just feels haunted it's great it creates oh. so much like dread right right no absolutely um and then this the scene builds as she as they get closer and closer, and then they finally meet Carrefour, uh, played by Darby Jones, who's a, a guardian who's just standing there, and I think he's there to guard against anybody coming to the voodoo ceremony who doesn't belong there. Um, uh, right before this is where they pass the the dead. I is it a, maybe it's a wolf? I'm not sure. It's really creepy. Yeah, it's canine uh, looking somehow. Yeah, it is kind of a dog-looking thing. I'm not sure. I always, I always thought it was a sheep. Um, I'm watching oh. it right now. I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, uh, but they, they be careful. And, and, you know, I don't know how tall Francis D. and, and Christine Gordon were. I'm, I assume they were, like, of average, like, five foot, you know, two to four or something like that, height of, of, of a woman of that era. Um, and Darby Jones is just, like, a foot taller than either of them easily. Like, they come up to, like, his midsection. He's just he's such a gigantic uh, dude. Um and they're confronted with him and they and he's just he doesn't acknowledge him he's just staring straight ahead with these again these these bulging blind eye prosthetics that he that they gave him um pretty good and, too like the i i i no, didn't yeah, realize they're right, they're right yeah and it's i mean we're a long way from the the you know sort of dead eye of uh, Karloff in the was it the Raven? Yeah, yeah we're like the not, Raven. Not yeah, so where it's, it's a little dodgy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah as I, as i said just not not uh not not Jack Pierce's best work, possibly. Um, but this or maybe hurried me. or something. I don't know what. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah, realize. I it. think. I think when I was young and watching this on VHS, I thought they found a guy who had something kind of wrong with him that you know that they they just used, kind of like a Rondo Haddon type of type of deal. Um, in you know in in HD, does it? Yeah, you can kind of see a little bit of the makeup or something like that. But honestly, it just sells and it just looks creepy enough. Um, I'm sorry. Uh. uh Betsy loses her patch. Jessica does not. I, I, I had that wrong. Um, just watching it right now. Uh, but yeah, they walk past him, realizing that she's lost her patch, and he doesn't do anything, and he's just standing there against the sky, and then slowly he turns and starts following them. 
without a word. And it's just, again, it's, it's this idea of like, it's, again, it's like Michael Myers or the Terminator or zombies or whatever. Like, like the idea of like, of a person that you can't like reason with, right. You can't, you can't talk to them or bribe them or whatever. This is why the mummy I think is one of the most, the scariest of other universal monsters is, you know, a zombie is very much like the mummy. Like, like if they're tasked within the context of a movie like this, not, so we're talking about like the early era of zombie films, as opposed to when we get into Night of Living Dead and the Fulci movies into, you know, into our modern Walking Dead idea of like a, you know, hordes of brain eaters. Mm-hmm. Um, here we're talking about a, a, a person who has died, has been brought back to life <clears throat> through through voodoo and is used to, as like a, as like a servant, as a, as a slave, basically, to carry out a witch doctor or a a, a voodoo practitioner's will. This is the this is the uh, this era's idea of a zombie. Uh, so so Carrefour is not going to eat their brains or anything, uh, supposedly. I guess <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, but he's 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 an automaton, right? He's he's just been something's been happened to him, and 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 he's being used like this. Um, the 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 basis of this understanding is, is is mixed, and there's a lot of theories about where the idea of of zombies comes from. There is a I can't remember the name of the fish, but there is a, a fish that that lives somewhere in this in this area of the world that if you uh, inject its venom or something into a person, it can bring about a zombie like state to this person. It can it mm. can reduce their mental capacity to the point where they're easily suggestible uh and and very non-communicative so uh whether or not that has something to do with it or you know i mean because all these mostly all, all all of these a lot of these beliefs uh originated in africa were brought across the atlantic uh through the disapora of of slavery um and then mixed with catholic beliefs of the of the uh people in the era so Voodoo and 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 all the, a lot of these religions have a lot. They're a melting pot of a lot of different beliefs that have been, you know, switched around, appropriated, and kind of like uh, uh, intermingled as a belief system that is that that frankly helped people who lived in very harsh circumstances. I think uh, deal with the the day to day troubles and 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 hardships uh, that, that that they they lived in. So anyway. Um, I'm obviously Wikipedia is your friend uh, in searching out uh, more information about the history of voodoo, voodoo, hoodoo, and anything else like that. I, I'm not, I'm not the expert there. So please uh, feel free to uh, uh, continue on there in your search if you're interested. Um, again, and, and most importantly, like this, you know, music is so critical in horror. Uh, we all know like, like everything from, Halloween, you know, John Carpenter's movie to, to all the way back to, to, you know, uh, Bride Frankenstein with Franz Waxman's music and, and Salter and, and everybody. Um, but the thing Val Luton tends to do in all these films is these, these really terrifying scenes, like, like the one we just talked about, the cane field with, with Carrefour have no music in them. They're silent. And they, all you hear is the sound of the wind and all you hear. And, and in that way, I think like they, they take that away from you. They take the music Yes, it's terrifying. It you know it helps create the mood, but it also reminds you you're watching a movie, and not just some something happening in front of you. And they take that away, and there's a reality it brings that's just really 
something. Yeah, the um, the music in this, it's like a lot of it's like diegetics or or like the mm-hmm. where the you know the singer relaying those plot right. things, and then in the voodoo ceremony, the you know we're hearing a lot you of hear music, the drums, but it's yeah. not the, that type of music. You know, telling you how to feel. Um, yeah. Is there, so I have a note, so I have this thing when, I, when I'm watching movies late at night I'm with these wireless headphones, and if they're not like motion sensor, but they, there has to be some kind of um, sound coming out of whatever it is. So like I navigate to the app, if the app has a little like Hulu goes, mm. it'll wake it up. But anyway, so I'm watching the scene and it gets so, it either got so quiet that my headphones shut off. Or it got oh, so really? quiet wow. that I worried they shut off until the owl went ooh, and then and then the oh, that's good. But that's I didn't funny. know if it actually got completely silent or not, just because of my technology. But yeah, I, I I sort of I didn't put it past this film to do that for effect. Either. Yeah, to get yeah, I don't think it ever gets utterly silent, but but I'm sure the volume drops to a point where oh, okay, must have know, been that. And because <laughs> then what happens is like then we start hearing the drums very softly, and then 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 the sound of the drums increases as as uh jessica and betsy advance so we're we're given to understand without you know without seeing a wide shot of how close they are to the home for we we're given to understand that they're getting closer as sound of the drums are you know uh, uh going forward um uh i didn't mention uh there's an actor named uh oh i i i'm probably gonna mangle this and i'm sorry uh hieno moxier or or Jean, it might be Jeno moxier uh, as Sabrur. Sabrur is the high priest. Uh, well, I don't think he's really the high priest, but he's like, he's a guy in black dancing with, who dances with a sword, but he definitely has, has, um, some kind of like, he's sort of the master of ceremony at this voodoo ceremony. And while the film doesn't have like a villain in it per se, Sabrur, 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 I don't know. Sabrur, uh, (laughs) becomes, um, I should have asked my wife. She speaks French. I I, I could have, could have consulted on this. Um, uh, he becomes, let's call him the antagonist and stuff. He's the one who once you know there once the the voodoo practitioners are exposed to and, and meet Jessica and see the state she's in, um, they become convinced she's a zombie and they want to bring her to back to the home fort after she leaves. And this causes this sort of in the third act. This is sort of the main thing where there, the, there's a plot to bring Jessica to the home fort uh, because she's a zombie. And I, I assume they, they feel like they could get some use out of her. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe Carrefour needs a partner in, in, in what they have him do. I'm not sure what the, like, again, it's like the story is so good. The plot just, you go like, okay, like, I'm not sure what the, what the motivation is, except if, if it's based on their religious beliefs, I guess, I don't know, but yeah, it's, but that's the, the, the conflict is that they want Jessica and, Obviously, Paul and everybody do not want to give them Jessica. <laughs> um, uh, the other great uh, twist that we have here at the moment is that uh, during the ceremony, they bring people up to to uh, talk with Dambala, it, who's inside a, 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 a like a shack. And when Betsy and Jessica get in there, they find that, or at least Betsy finds that Dambala is actually Mrs. Rand. Um, Mrs. Rand has adopted an alter ego as Dambala because in her work as, as, as like at the clinic with medicine, um, what is it? They, she says, uh, uh, I, I told the mom to boil water for the baby to, to kill the germs and she wouldn't do it, do it when I told her. But then when Dambala tells her to boil the baby, to boil the baby, <laughs> <clears throat> to boil the, um, 
the water for the baby, she does it because it's a religious thing. So, so, um, Mrs. Rand has kind of like co-opted the, the resident of the island's belief system as a way to help them, as a way to do good, right? But still, yeah. Yeah, kind of tricking them to help them. Again, and and the ceremony itself, as I as I kind of said at the top, like like yeah. So so you said it's based on a slightly on a like a Time Life or, or Time Magazine yeah, article. The, what they've said. So uh, they the the historians in the commentary were saying that according to the shooting script, uh, the voodoo ritual was based on an account of one in the 1937 issue of Life Magazine. But the hmm. the, the way I uh, I, the sense that I got was that the way that the script was, was like maybe it actually just lifted that description, you know, like the the account oh, you yeah. know, that was in the magazine yeah. almost that like put in there verbatim because it wasn't you know they were trying not to make anything up but rather just follow this and then it said mm-hmm. that there was a also a scene of possession and speaking in tongues that was listed there but not ultimately included in the interesting final film. not yeah yeah oh that's interesting um. And I just, again, I just say like, like I've, I've, I mean, in my at least experience of like looking into some of these ceremonies and stuff and, and, and having been to New Orleans and hung out with some folks, let's just say, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, if it's not like spot on accurate, maybe, maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe it's good. It's not like just a documentarial pr- depiction of, of what goes on there because I'm, uh, there are elements I don't think you could have shown in a 1940 three film that that sometimes are key to certain parts of, of voodoo practice but um uh yeah it just i mean it just doesn't come off demeaning to any of the actors or 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 or, or what they represent in the film and i i just appreciate that for its its non-cringy factor yeah and between um, that and what Mrs. to me Rand I, is I hope doing, so, i hope it doesn't offend other people that i'm not aware yeah of, but okay. could, yeah maybe we're not the but but, but there yeah. does seem yeah. to be <laughs> a it doesn't seem to be presented as inherently evil. Like almost that's the other thing. Right. Like Mrs. Rand sort of seems to say this. She's like, okay, well they think it's this. I don't know. There's a little bit of condescension there, but also something of an acknowledgement of like, well, they just see things differently rather than there's a, there's a little Campbellian thing of like, Hey, this is their thing. We have our thing and it's all, you know, it gets us to the same place, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, the, the, the key moment is while while uh, Betsy's inside talking with Mrs. Rand, uh, Sabrur noticing Jessica does a test, and we see it off screen. But I, th- I think what he does he basically takes his his sword and puts it through her hand or arm, like like we see him shoving it all the way through, and she doesn't react and she doesn't bleed. And they all note that all the practitioners notice this, like she doesn't bleed, which to them is. You know that's their that's their litmus test. Like she's a zombie. She's obviously a zombie. So why does the zombie live up at the up at the at the uh, Holland Fort? You know or Fort Holland? Um. Uh. So yeah. Again. So now we're going to the third act, and this is like so now the the their goal is going to be to get Jessica back because they they if she's a zombie they they want her. And who would for what we don't yeah, yeah there you go yeah because i wonder like what you know with the white zombie right they were actually being used for labor the zombies and yes, stuff right right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you don't quite know what's going on murder le genre <laughs> was was like utilizing them as, as free labor and you know and they don't complain about long hours <laughs> yeah. um yeah uh uh which is great um uh so uh 
having reached this point where where you know Betsy realizes like, well, Dambala is not going to help Jessica because Dambala is actually <laughs> Jessica, Jessica's well, not her mother in law, but she's somehow vaguely related to well, she's she's the mother in law of her ex boyfriend, I guess, <laughs> or she's the <laughs> yeah. mother of her ex boyfriend. Um, she would have been her mother in law if, if she and, and Wesley had been able to escape. Um, uh, she she so this this is a wash. So Betsy's going to take her back to to the the Fort Holland, um, and uh, and where she will, you know, we're kind of expecting her to face the wrath of of Paul, but Paul seems to go like, oh, okay, well, I guess you were doing the right thing, taking my semi comatose wife out into the woods to the <laughs> to the voodoo ceremony. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure it's a while since Jessica had a girls' night out, so you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the the. But but this but in doing this, Betsy has caused some problems in in taking Jessica to the home for it. Um, now things are different. Um, everything's going to get complicated now. Uh, the the residents of the island are calling, and and somehow this gets back to wherever. And, and Dr. Maxwell says that there's going to be an inquest into what happened to Jessica. Uh, just admit, like from the the local magistrate, who's 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 the nearest thing to any kind of law and order that exists on the island. Um, uh, Paul's thinking he wants to send Jessica to the asylum on St. Thomas, uh, which I'm about to go visit St. Thomas for the first time next month, and I'm excited to see there. I'm, I don't know if there's an asylum there or not. I'll find out. I'll report back. <laughs> um, um, and 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 he's thinking maybe Betsy should go back to Canada. <laughs> um, uh, and it's you know it's it's like a practical thing, which obviously if Jessica goes to an in, into an asylum, there's no need for Betsy to be there because she has nowhere to take care of, like officially, like for her job. Um, but I think it's also like Paul is, uh, Paul's trying to do the right thing because you know he's falling for Jessica as well. Or, I'm sorry, he's falling for Betsy as well, and I think he's kind of going like maybe I need to take this woman out of the equation and I can just focus on whatever because it's not going to be a very good look if he sends his wife to an asylum and then starts dating her nurse. Right? Yeah, he's got enough uh, stuff going around him about him he's, already. <laughs> he's yeah, he's he's British. He he cares about like these things, like like being upstanding and and whatnot. So yeah, so so I want to so add another verse to the song. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, um, and we're kind of like like going in towards the towards the end. So um, there's so so the uh, so Brewer is going to send, uh, you know, he, he so so there's a great scene where he has this this doll version of Jessica, and. He's gonna. He shows it to Sabrur, and he's he's like, okay, go get go get the woman in the white dress. So this is this is the plan. So our kind of third beat of spookiness in in the movie is is Sabrur stalking into the uh, a Sabrur. I'm sorry, Carrefour stalking into uh, on you know he basically comes and trespasses onto the property. And he's coming for Jessica. And there's some great moments where Jessica's like in bed and you just see his shadow pass across her. Um, uh, oh, she's not in bed. She's she's sleeping in Jessica's room, kind of watching out for her. But yeah, but you see like the shadow pass and stuff. And again, it's like just the wind and and no music and just this silent. All you can hear is like the footsteps of, of Carrefour's bare feet, like on the stones, just like, shoo, 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 just like, <laughs> um, again, the inevitability, right? It's just like, 
Like, what are you going to do to stop Sabur? Like, you could probably shoot him a couple times. He's not, he doesn't have a will to stop on his own. He's just been sent on a mission and he's going to try to complete that mission until uh, Mrs. Rand shows up and calls him by name and tells him to go back to the home fort. Which, so, so, you know, luckily she is sort of the voice of Dambala because he, he actually does obey her. So that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I like that about the inevitability. I mean, it is, it, it actually seems to kind of go with some of the themes of the, the story, like the, the fatalism of, of, you know, mm-hmm. once she made that choice to go down to, to, to go to this Island, that she was going to yeah. be, um, you know, that her life would be changed and she's going to be part of the song. And, and it's like, yeah, right. it's too late for her already. As soon as she's like made that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple just great shots of care for like coming into Darby Jones, kind of like coming right into the camera and just walking. Like they do a great thing where he's walking towards camera, like they're behind camera and he's coming, coming at you and you're just, uh, um, you know, and, and I always say like, it's, it's like, um, it's like the thing about the Wolfman that I like best is that, you know, originally Larry Tapa was supposed to be, uh, just a guy working like like fixing a telescope and then it was changed again by Siodmak, same same writer. Um it's this this one. Uh it was changed to him being the 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 sort of forgotten son of John Talbot returning from America. And so, you know, my whole thing about Wolfman works because Larry Talbot's an outsider even be, before he becomes a werewolf. He's yeah. like a stranger in the strange land. And Betsy very much is that same thing here. She doesn't belong here on St. Sebastian. She she's not She's not one of the residents, and she's definitely not not a Holland. Uh, she's caught between these two things, and and that just as a main character, that just it, it she she's never safe, no matter what. Like even physically safe, she's never safe from maybe being fired or maybe being sent back to Canada or everything. There's there's a little bit of threat that that exists all through everything, which is which is wild. Yeah, um, she doesn't belong there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, as the as this um. As, as things are coming to a head, uh, there's like this kind of family meeting, uh, which again, uh, like I said, there, there's a decision that, that uh, Betsy's going to have to go back to, to Canada. Um, um, there, there's the inquest is coming where they're going to, the, the, the Hollands are going to be investigated, <clears throat> excuse me, over <clears throat> what happened to Jessica. And Wesley's saying like, Great. So, so all of our dirty laundry, all our all our family business is going to be out there, you know, for everyone to to hear and listen and stuff. So they're so the family's going to be shamed by by this by this affair that happened between the the two half brothers. Um, and this is the moment where, uh, Mrs. Poor poor Mrs. Rand, can sort of tries to confess, and it gets a little confusing. Like she confesses that. You know, while she was just impersonating Dambala in the interest of of getting medicine and and helping the the local people, she start she sort of got caught up in in the voodoo thing, and when this whole love triangle thing was happening, and and the, her her two sons were were having you know all these problems over this woman, she basically prayed that Jessica would go away, would become a zombie. Like she 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 tried to solve it spiritually, you know, through a thing. And so she also feels responsible for this. She she thinks it's her fault that that Jessica is a zombie. Um and then there's a there's a little bit of a twist where they say, well, but Dr. Maxwell's like, well, you know, 
to be a zombie, someone has to have died, and Jessica never died. So this whole thing you're worried about, like this can't be this this was this isn't a that's not a thing, as the kids say. <laughs> um, um, uh, and that makes that makes Mrs. Rand feel better, which is nice. But then you have another beat where the Wesley or, or and 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 um, Paul say to each other, "Well, Mom doesn't know about about the coma." So, so there's an idea that like she actually did that Jessica maybe did die, and yeah. that it's possible she is a zombie. Like so, so the great thing about the movie is like it never, it never really uh, uh, takes a takes a stand one on one side or the other. Like, is Jessica a zombie? Is Jessica just someone with you know a debilitating brain damage? Yeah, it never really it it doesn't give you the answer. It lets you kind of like fill it in and, and decide what you think it's really wild you never even find out like d- definitively if it was the yeah. virus or whatever that cooked her brain or right. if like her, yeah you know paul yeah. upset her so much that or what and and then exactly and the is, 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 is it psychological existence? trauma yeah. right yeah exactly yeah i mean is it is it some sort of defense mechanism yeah yeah the whole thing and the and the the movie never comes out and says voodoo doesn't work either it it, it never you know it, it the the character's you know the Holland characters and Rand characters within the film look down on it, and Doctor Maxwell does as as something that that it's just something these these silly people believe in, and it and it doesn't it's nonsense. But the movie itself never comes out and is like, well, no, this, and it says says that the, the as far as the movie's concerned, maybe maybe it is, maybe it is real. Like it's it's a great little, uh, it walks a very fine line, and it walks that line very perfectly. Um, uh, so Brewer now, uh, uh, now that the, he, he's given up, uh, sending someone to get Jessica. Now the goal is that they're going to bring Jessica to the home fort. So the next step of their thing is, is to do a ceremony and, and they're doing the thing with a doll where they're like, we have a little string and the doll's coming closer to Sabrur and he's, he's, he's down there. Like I, the, the actor again, so, so I can mangle his name again, uh, Jeno Moxier, uh, He's so uh, he's very lean and and he he must have been a dancer. I I can I don't know much about him. I assume he was he's some kind of dancer because of the way he he moves and the way he can crouch really low and with his legs open and stuff. So he's very flexible. So um, he's well cast. Uh, so the idea is like okay they're gonna they're gonna like compel Jessica you know with with voodoo to to come to them. So uh, you know Jessica actually does try to leave the 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 the. Uh, Holland Fort, um, and they close the gate, and and she's uh, so she can't. So there's this like compelling kind of thing. So I guess now having said what I just said, I guess this does, as far as the film goes, this does lean towards the idea that that yeah, it, the voodoo does work, right? Because yeah. obviously it's working on Jessica. Yeah, okay. seems to be working. What what finalizes this out is this slightly existential argument that that uh, between Paul and Wesley that you know. Wesley's sort of in, implying that that there there is no there is no point that they should just let Jessica go like they should just let her die like that there that Jessica has nothing to offer that she's caught in this in this you know uh you know world that they can't access that they don't know if she's in pain or not you know for all they know that she could be in pain um and not be able to communicate it um you know the limits of the limits of 1943 medicine and then also 1943 medicine on an island in the Caribbean, right? Where, where it's not like she can go and get tested in, in New York city or something. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this, this thing. And then, you know, if, if obviously if, if Jessica was no longer alive, that would open up different possibilities for Betsy and, and Paul. Uh, and what's nice is like, you know, Wesley, Wesley, Wesley's still in love with Jessica. You can tell like he's, he's still, uh, he, when he fell for her, it wasn't, it wasn't just like a, an affair. He actually fell in love with his half brother's wife and he still loves her so much. And, and I guess the, the implication is that he loves her enough to, to let her be free of this kind of, you know, you know, uh, torment that she's, she's stuck in, right. This, this purgatorial kind of, kind of, uh, uh, world. So the next time when the, uh, the, uh, the drums happen and, and she's called to the home for it, uh, and he's sitting there drinking his whiskey from the decanter on the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tradition. Possibly, yeah. Uh, uh, he he actually gets up and he opens the gate and lets her go and then goes over to the statue of St. Sebastian and, and pulls out one of the arrows that uh, pierces it. Because St. Sebastian in the biblical thing was, was killed with by a lot of arrows. I guess I didn't mention that before, but um, yeah. So there's arrows sticking out. So... so um, you know, for a movie that doesn't have all that much music, now like the drums are going to be like just this constant, you know, building tension to the point where, while we don't see it happen, uh, the next time we see, you know, uh, uh, Wesley and and Jessica, Wesley has stabbed her with an arrow, and he's he's uh, put her out of her misery, uh, uh, euthanized her, you know, whatever way you want to describe it. Um, uh, I think, to, I mean, at least in his belief, as a way of setting her free. So, uh, but 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 then there's this idea that Sabrur is is poking the doll with a with a knife too. So is Wesley compelled by the by the voodoo priest as well? Like I, you know what I mean? Is this even his his own volition or is he being controlled too? It's very I, again, like the great thing about it is that it's not specific. It it, it lets you. It lets you bring your context to it and decide what you think. Yeah, it is. It's really and and like I was just thinking, watching that scene where he opens the gate for her. You know, mm-hmm. she's like literally caged in there at that point, and it then is true. He's also it, there, there's like a beautiful sort of and maybe simplistic, I guess, metaphor for he's letting her go, like that, like mm-hmm. sort yeah. of emotionally as well, and. uh and then yeah, and then we you know we cut back and um, and see the 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 guy crouching down and the uh, the drums the drums or drums are going until he stabs the doll, and uh, yeah. and the drums stop and then we cut and that's because we don't see uh, Leslie and do this it. is when we see Wesley yeah, yeah pulling so the, the thing out of her yeah it's true yeah. it's it's interesting um, it's poetic you know which is yeah. you know I always say like if if uh, <laughs> and maybe I say this in my own defense but. Uh, I think in a film, sometimes it's not necessary for everything to be intellectually true if it feels emotionally true, right? Nice. Yeah. Like if, if it makes that connection, and this one definitely does. It's just really, um, it's it's poetic, and 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 it and it it seems inevitable as well. Um, uh, this is a great moment where where you know he, he Wesley picks up Jessica's body on the beach, and and Carafor comes walking up to him to get Jessica, and. Wesley turns away. He he's not going to let them have her. You know, he he wants to keep her with him because again, like we said, like he's never fallen out of love with her. Um uh Carefor follows him and Wesley walks down to the beach uh 
to the ocean and carries Jessica out into the, into the water. Um, uh, and, and drowns her and dr- drowns himself too. So, so they, they die together, uh, 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 you know, in a way they were not able to be together in, in life. So again, like I said, like it is emotionally totally super resonant. Um, it, it couldn't have been, I'm watching the actor. I, I assume that's James Ellison. I'm not sure. Like, like trying to pour the poor actor trying to carry <laughs> the actress out into the water keep his his own and, head above water yeah 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 and he's backing up and and th- you know there's a moment where when he was just walking towards the beach there were not a lot of waves and it seems like the moment they decided to shoot him actually going in there there were some serious like <laughs> yeah what there's some serious white crap uh, caps coming in so yeah he's, he's struggling against that yeah. um i don't can, know anything about how almost, many times they had to film this or what you can almost hear him just be like oh god <laughs> trying to yeah. just yeah. keep it oh, together geez. oh <laughs> it's and in case in case anyone hasn't been to LA, like the the Pacific Ocean is not the Atlantic Ocean. The Pacific Ocean is cold. It's not freezing, but it is not it's not warm. And it's definitely you know it's not warm like it is down in the Caribbean. Trust me, the Dominican the, the the ocean down there is wonderful to swim in. But yeah, Pacific right by Malibu, not so much. There's a reason guys wear wetsuits and girls when they surf. Um, uh, so again, I mean, but this is like, like it's daytime or 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 I mean, it's, it's ostensibly nighttime and we're doing day for night, like you were saying, where, which is where you shoot during the day and you filter, use filters and other techniques to make it look like nighttime. Um, but they're filming in brilliant sun. Carrefour is, is completely silhouetted from, from the front, which means they film this towards the afternoon because the sun would be going down over the ocean. Um, and I never, even when I was young, I never once questioned like, oh, okay. It's, does it look totally like nighttime? No, but does it, do I believe it? It could be bright moonlight. Sure. Okay. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And you're like kind of so sucked in that uh, yeah. it doesn't almost doesn't even matter. And it's, I was right. mesmerized by care for, I mean, it's like, it has the, the ambiguity of we think, I mean, yeah, he is, they want her, they want Jessica for, for their, yeah. themselves. But there, when he starts to raise his hands, like out, it's not and the, and palms up. It's it reminds me of like the Karloff monster, you know, when he's sitting mm-hmm. and trying to communicate, just kind of waving his yeah. hands. And there's like a a plaintiveness to it, almost, almost like he doesn't want them to go into the ocean. And then then he just kind of uh, gives up yeah. and, and yeah. Then lowers his hands. I don't know. It's sort of interesting because yeah, he's yeah, like menacing he, them, but there's also a compassion there, sort of from this like. I, I don't know. I absolutely agree. And it's, it's this, um, it's this kind of, it's, it's the most, uh, Darby Jones is able to do with, with the character who the character itself has very, you know, obviously limited means of expression. And, and Darby Jones does this. You're, you're so smack on comparing it to Karloff and playing the monster, which is, you know, again, the, it's this mute kind of mime, mimery, performs but it is it, but I, again like you said like it's it's open interpretation is he is he saying come back we we want you guys as zombies is he saying don't go out there you'll you'll die too you know yeah is he saying watch out for the jellyfish i don't know he's like um, oh, the bro there's a wave coming in <laughs> they stink oh you're gonna get up nope never mind yeah exactly who knows uh but it's it is it's it's beautiful it's beautifully done it's so artistic and it's so just elegantly um spliced in together and and it's just you, you you're you know you, you under without a word being said you understand exactly what is is happening you know the, the, the at least the context of what's happening so yeah it's wild um 
And then and then there's a great shot of Darby Jones standing there and against the dark sand, and then the wave smashes in uh, across him, and it's just great. Um, and then you have, I mean, uh, so many things I love about this movie, but like this scene with the the, the fishermen, the spear fishermen are out there, you know, in like knee deep water, uh, hunting fish at, by by torchlight at night, and they come across the bodies, uh, which is so it's just so just like incredible, like like of, of Jessica floating there, and and then they they carry them back to uh, Fort Holland, which is just. And they're singing too. They're they're singing in the same way that the the guys on the ship were singing on the way over uh, to yeah. the island at the beginning of the movie. There's a there's a beautiful repeat of that, um, you know. And just the respect, like like so, they come in carrying Paul, and then and then, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 a Carefor's job to carry Jessica. So we do have this beautiful moment of like I always call it the the Forbidden Planet pose where. You always have the monster with the the woman in 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 their arms. You know everything from man made monster to Frankenstein to everything. Yeah, so we iconic. do get that. Th- that image has popped up on a lot of posters and and whatnot for the movie. I, I've noticed, which you know, it, for it's a very small element of the movie, but um, it's great. And then they walk. They they finally they walk past the uh, the statue of Saint Sebastian in the thing, and um, and then we have this quote by or you know it's a it's a quote it's a voiceover here at the end and now it's no longer uh betsy it's it's a it's a man's voice assumably an african-american man and reading if it's not i don't know if it's from the bible i think it might be paraphrased uh, i i wouldn't be the expert on that <laughs> um <laughs> uh but uh hey i knew saint sebastian um uh but but it's a little it it wraps it up a little bit, um, the story wise and about, about love and, 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 and death and fate and, and everything. Um, it's the one thing I'm not sure the film needs it. And I, I'm kind of like, well, why is this other man talking? Now? I know. It's, it's like, who is like this a, guy? And, and what, what? Who's, yeah. What, <laughs> it, it, it honestly, and it honestly spa- smacks to me of, of a studio note or insert. Like, I, I swear, it's just one of those things that's so at odds with the rest of the movie. I'm like, that doesn't belong there. That sounds like something. And for all I know, it was Val Loon's idea and he loved the idea and he thought it was good. But but it's almost like, you know, Rick Deckard's voiceover in Blade Runner where yeah. they made Harrison do it and you have the outtakes of him going, like, this is the stupidest thing I'm doing. Yeah. Um, nobody, <laughs> really, Scott, nobody liked that idea. Um, I've never heard those. The studio like, thought, the, yeah, oh yeah, the studio thought like that they that the film needed that at the end and they they had him do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's the It's the one off note of the entire movie, but it doesn't bother me that much. It's, it's, it does wrap it up. So, okay. You know, and the, um, to, to, uh, remember to bring up how the actual shooting script ended. And I guess they shot this. They said there's stills of it, um, that there was an epilogue. So um, this is, I'm sure this voiceover mm-hmm. that we're talking about now was brought in to kind of ha- bring a closure, like end the film, um, right? wrap it up somehow and, and give some commentary that, cause Betsy's narration came back around at this point at, to, in the to, original to version bookend. okay yeah but that would make I sense i don't know what she uh, says because they didn't share it i'm just he- hearing about this from the commentary but they said the script is easily findable online but i guess oh. the scene is that she's back in uh canada in snowy 
snowy Canada. And she's outside a office building waiting for Paul. And then he comes down and I guess the implication is that they're married. And then uh, the, I think the last line is something like the a dialogue. is like, we're off to have dinner with the Wilkinses. <laughs> and it's just the, that too seems like, I'm not sure I prefer that ending <laughs> that 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 too seems to land with a bit of a thud so that's interesting yeah yeah because yeah, you know I, I mean i like the idea of like well okay jessica's gone um maybe paul and betsy have a chance now maybe they don't you know she, we last see them like he's he's holding her and it's the first time we've really seen them like have a physical you know whatever uh, with each other um of any kind uh i like the idea of that i like i like that there's there's like hope in tragedy right uh, uh, at, at the end of this film but yeah i don't i'm not sure i want to be like oh well we're off to the wilkinsons for dinner party like that 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 doesn't that doesn't like i don't need that i guess no, is my point that's like, not the movie I, we've I, been I'm watching i'm happy with it know? being open yeah <laughs> exactly like like oh like i don't want betsy to just become Susie homemaker at the end of this i i feel like i feel like um Betsy's, you know, character thing, she she gains power as the film goes on and she does it subtly and, you know, she she works her way into Paul's heart, uh, not as a way of bettering her own situation financially or anything, but, you know, because she honestly does find the humanity in this guy that's very shut down. And I think that's like a lovely kind of story. Yeah, uh, it, demitasses and, and doilies and aperitifs and stuff, I don't need that element of it no it's fine it's fine is it i and i i actually like that the it, the last shot in the film is is the the statue uh, of saint sebastian we see as the title comes up and stuff i think it's just yeah lovely poetic um i'm so glad we got to talk about this this is just yeah me too again i mean one of my i mean i i come back to this it's one of those movies where I, you know i won't watch it for a few years or something and i come back and watch it and i've i've actually forgotten how much i enjoy it like and then i'm like oh that's right i love this movie I, yeah. I know I do, but There's I forget a lot to love. The, the depth of it. Yeah, yeah, so it's great. So thank you so much, David, for coming on and, and talking with me about it. It was great. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a, always a pleasure. Fantastic. Uh, everybody, thanks so much for listening to us uh, in this. Uh, we kept it under two hours this time, so there we go. Uh, for this for this movie that's an hour and six minutes long, of course. Um, but there's so much to get into, and I'm, I'm glad I got to uh, add this to the list of films on Borgo Pass War Podcast. If you are interested in seeing our back catalog, it is available. Uh, just you know, go to your favorite podcast app, bring up Borgo Pass, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, what have you, all of them. Um, and uh and and scroll back we've got like 60 some episodes uh that you can go to so a couple hundred hours of entertainment for you just waiting to go back and please definitely if you're interested uh subscribe and you will get a new episode of the borgo pass every other thursday coming at you so thank you very much everybody this has been jim towns i'm with david allman we've been talking about i walked with the zombie thanks very much good night Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. 
Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Thank you.